Hello and welcome to the Art of Communication podcast with me, Robin Kermode. Have you ever wished you could become a confident speaker or presenter? Then why not join my online masterclass, Speak So Your Audience Will Listen. In 10 easy-to-follow modules, you can become a confident and authentic speaker. For more information, visit robinkermode.com. Hello, this is Sian Hansen, and welcome to the Art of Communication podcast. I'm here with Robin Kermode. Hello. Now, this podcast is called Stand and Deliver. <laughs> and what we're going to do is talk about how you actually stand on stage and deliver your speech. So, Robin, my first question to you is you've worked on stage or you're in a small room, but you're effectively on a stage. How do you stand? Where do you plant your feet? Well, it's a very good point, isn't it? Because if your feet are too close together, then you have no balance. If they're too wide apart, you end up looking like John Wayne or some <laughs> cowboy. I know there were lots of articles in the press last year with UK politicians about standing with a wide stance. Yes. Can I just say I was not responsible for that, although I coach a lot of politicians, but I was not responsible for the wide stance. I think it looks slightly ludicrous. When we're on a stage, what are we trying to achieve? We're trying to achieve that we are relaxed and we're not trying to control the audience. Right. In most circumstances, we're right. actually trying to give them information. If we stand too wide, it sets us up as somebody who is slightly combating the audience and we want to be on their side, hopefully giving them something that's useful to them. I can see that if you've got your feet close together mm. or your feet too wide apart, that that can cause problems and the body language is sending off the wrong signals. So what's just about right? I think it's shoulder width, isn't it? Well, some people say shoulder width and some people say hip width. I would say probably shoulder width, between shoulder width and hip width, because that makes you stable. And is, that's is what the right. queen does. Well, the queen always gets it right. <laughs> <laughs> now, for the ladies listening, does it make any difference if you're wearing very high heels? Would you suggest that you go for a lower heel when you're walking on stage? I have lots of female clients, of course, and I would say to them, wear a shoe that you're used to wearing. Don't wear shoes for the first time on a stage. Good point. And that's a really good point. It goes for men as well, because shoes, as we all know, the first time you wear them tend to be a bit too tight and we feel odd. Yeah. It's a bit like when you, you go to a wedding and you're not used to wearing a suit or you suddenly you go for a job interview, put a suit and tie on if you're not used to wearing that and it will make you feel different. Yes, I can see that. But I wouldn't say don't wear heels. Wear heels if you're used to wearing heels. Got it. Now, you're standing there. Let's assume there's a lectern. Do you stand behind it, to the side of it? What do you do if you have a lectern? Well, it depends on whether you need the lectern for the microphone and whether you need the lectern for your notes. Some people feel more comfortable behind a lectern because essentially they're hiding behind it. It also gives them something to hold on to yeah. and to lean on so they yeah. can appear casually relaxed when yeah. they're not feeling very casually relaxed. I would encourage people, certainly my clients, not to use the lectern whenever possible. But there are certain situations where somebody's giving an annual lecture. Mm. And this is a lecture that will be published and therefore they have to read it. Now, if you're going to read something as opposed to look improvisational without notes, then you have to read it. And the only way is to be at a lectern. 
Got it. Because I've noticed sometimes the modern way of doing this is have your notes on the lectern, but you stand to one side and you move back to the lectern just to pick up where you want to start again and move to the side again. It yeah. seems to be fashionable. It is fashionable. I think it's also what university lecturers have done for quite a long time is That's they have true. their notes and they move around. And just to keep them on track, they know they're there, they can go back. That's true. I would say to clients of mine, I would rather you had the notes in your pocket and you take them out if you need to. I remember once I was giving a talk and I told a joke that I hadn't planned to say, but for some reason it seemed appropriate. I told the joke, I got a huge laugh and then I completely threw myself. I didn't know where I was. <laughs> but luckily in my pocket, I had some bullet points. So I went into my jacket and I said, ladies and gentlemen, I said, when I was in the hotel this morning, there are a few things that I really wanted to tell you. And I took out my notes as oh, if I'd planned it. Very smooth. But actually inside my head, I was going, I cannot remember where I am. So you, there are ways around these things. So we're up there on stage. And the one thing I always find very difficult is I just don't know where to look. Now, it's going to be different if it's a meeting room with 20 or a lecture room with 300. So, Robin, where do you look? Well, I learned a lot about eye contact when I went to see Hamlet at the National Theatre a few years ago. And I was sitting on the front row and the actor playing Hamlet walked to the front and he paused and he was about to do the famous speech, to be or not to be, that's the question. And he stood there and I was right on the front looking up at him and I thought, this is great. And he stopped, paused and looked straight down at me in the eye and he said to me directly, to be or not to be. And at this point I was still looking at him. And then he continued to look at me and he said, that's the question. And I wanted to say, sorry, Hamlet, do you want a response to that? <laughs> I wanted to say, look, if you want to kill yourself, it's up to you, mate. The point of the story was I met a friend of mine afterwards and I said to her, this is amazing. He's doing the whole play to me. It's fantastic. Literally doing it to me. And she said, but I'm up in the dress circle. He's doing the whole play to me. So oh. what I learned from that is you give one thought to one person and you give one thought to another person. Now, if it's a massive arena then you give it to a particular area of the arena. But generally, most of us are probably going to speak to people around a table. Maybe you've only got, say, up to 10 people around a table. In that situation, the one thing you want to do is to make sure that we don't generalise our look all the way around. So people, no sweeping with the eyes. No sweeping with the eyes. I think people tend to do one of three things. They either go above the audience... Ooh. Or they go below the audience, almost like they're not there. Mm. Or they go the most common one, which is in the middle, where they defocus... They move their head around from left to right, but they've kind of defocused and they're not really looking at I anyone. I definitely experienced that. And it's a slightly out-of-body experience. Afterwards, you say, how did it go? How was it? What was the audience's response? And you actually don't know because you haven't been looking at the audience at all. You've, you've distracted yourself from it. That's interesting. So what you're saying is that part of the magic of giving a talk and your body language and how you stand there and how you use your eyes is that you must connect with the audience and the sweep disconnects you. If we're in the audience, what we want to feel is that the speaker is speaking to us, not to everybody. Right. And if you speak to everybody, you're actually talking to nobody. It's a bit niche, but I've been to speeches where the person giving the talk not only is speaking to people in the room, but is also on camera, whether it's a webcam or the speech is being filmed. Now, if you're the person on stage and you have a camera as an audience and your people, who do you talk to, the camera or the audience? The short answer is, I think it depends if you're a politician on a campaign or not. Wow. But for most people, I would say you have to talk to the room because the camera is filming you giving a talk to a room. So if you look at most of the TED Talks, 
the speakers are talking to the room, they're being filmed, but they're not doing it into the lens. Because if you're doing it into the lens, it's a different kind of talk. Now, of course, politicians will say, well, I've got 100 people in the room, but I've got a million people watching online, so I'm going to go straight down the camera lens. And that's a different kind of thing. But that's not something that most of us have to deal with. Another big question that all our listeners want to hear is what do you do with your hands and your arms? <laughs> what do you do with your hands? I know that. That's the, the weird thing about this is that if somebody said to you, you know, if you imagine you're in your early 20s and you're dating and someone says to you, do you want to come for a drink? And you say, well, I, I would come for a drink, but I'm going to say no because I don't know what to do with my hands. You think that was <laughs> rather weird. Right? But if you say to somebody, I've got to give a speech, I don't know what to do with my hands. Everyone says, I know, I know. <laughs> so it's a universal thing. And basically, there are several options, aren't there? You can put your hands behind your back. What do you feel about that? Well, it's a bit too military. On an animal level, if you show your hands, it's a sign of honesty. Because if you don't show your hands, you might have a weapon. Now, of course, you're giving a talk and the likelihood of you having a gun or a knife in your hand is very unlikely. But on an animal level, if you show your hands, it's a sign of honesty. So if you hide your hands either behind your back or in your pockets. Not a good thing. I was told when I was growing up that you shouldn't have your hands in your pockets because it's a sign of disrespect, mm -hmm. particularly to older people, mm -hmm. you know, when you're young. But actually, I think it's a sign of honesty if you show your hands. You can have your hands straight down by your side. Mm -hmm. Have you ever tried to speak like that? I just would never do that. It's, I find it really uncomfortable because it's not natural. Interesting enough, if you watch a lot of politicians, particularly world leaders, presidents of countries use it a lot. It's a very high status way of standing. It's a very difficult way of standing because the emotional center for every human being is in the gut, which is below the belly button, the lower stomach. If that is open, you feel exposed. This is a stance that actors call actors neutral. The next time you go to see a play on stage, just watch actors and some on film as well. Watch actors do this. A lot of performers will stand like that, but in life, very few people do. The reason actors do it is that it's very easy to watch, but it's actually quite uncomfortable to do for most people. So most people will have their hands gently connected. So you're almost like you have the fingers intertwined or you have their hands together about right. the level of where your belt line will be, which is probably just around your belly button, actually, somewhere around there. And if you have your hands around there, you feel comforted, but it doesn't look defensive. If you have your arms crossed in front of you, we all know that's closed body language. It looks defensive. But if you have it around your middle there, you feel comforted, but you look open. Do you think you can use your hands to emphasize a point? You don't want to feel locked. So if you say, this is a great idea, and at the same time as saying that, you have your right hand almost punching the air. And then if you say, and here's another great idea, and you do it again, if you do it four times in a row, the audience will say, please stop doing that. <laughs> Only three or four times it gets repetitive. So the gestures have to look incredibly natural. But basically, if you have an open gesture, which emanates from the shoulder, so it's an open gesture from the hand, so the hands are relaxed and open towards the audience, is the most authentic, real gesture you can make. And I've got another question that I'm always curious about, is where do you place yourself on the stage, assuming you have a choice? Or where do you place yourself at a meeting table? That's really interesting. I'll take the stage one first. I would say to anyone who's going to give a talk on a platform, make sure that you've been to the place before. Make sure that you've climbed the steps. You know how many steps it is to the top. You're not going to trip over them if they're too narrow. You have to know how many steps it is from the side of the stage to where you're going to end up. And you have to have decided where you're going to go. Otherwise, you move around a bit aimlessly. So the short answer is it doesn't actually matter where you stand as long as you've made a decision. 
But when you get to your main spot, then you want to stand still right. and speak. When we were at drama school, we had an amazing movement teacher who used to use this expression. She said, and now you come to a still stand. And I remember saying to her once, isn't it stand still? You say stand still. She said, no, it's a still stand. And a still stand has energy with it. Yes, that makes sense. There are some actors, Mark Rylance is one, who's amazing on stage. So still. And stillness is very captivating. So once you've chosen your spot on the stage, do you have to stay there? I mean, in other words, you look at TED speakers and they're all over the stage. They're walking up and down. Do you walk up and down? They're constantly wondering. I would say to people, yes, move if you can, unless you're stuck by a lectern. But what I wouldn't do is to move randomly. So what I would say is move on sections. So you do one section of your talk. When there's a change of section, you then move because it helps you to know that you've finished. Say, for example, you're going to talk about customers and suppliers. Once you've finished talking about customers, you can say, right, now let's talk about suppliers. And as you do that, you move oh, to another part of the Oh, and physically move across the You physically the move. And it actually it helps the audience to know that the subject has now changed. But it also gives you a chance to then give a different profile, but also to address a different side of the audience. Got it. And what would you do in a meeting room? In a meeting room, it's really interesting because when I'm coaching people, I always set the room out in advance if I can. Assuming it's a rectangular boardroom table, I always try to coach on the corners. So I would give them the head of the table and I would put my chair at the side. So we're now at right angles to each other. But almost every client will come in the room, see the configuration and choose to sit directly opposite. Opposite, yes. Because I think most people in business are so used to negotiation type meetings where you're on one side, the other team are on the other. But for me, I think if you can, particularly if it's a one-to-one, if you can be on the corners of a table, it's much more intimate. I always learned that if there was somebody at the meeting who you knew was going to disagree with you, you had to sit next to them, side a, by side. That's a great one. That's a very Never good sit opposite them, side by side. It's much harder to disagree with somebody sitting by your side than it is across the table. It is. Because the table acts like a barrier. And it's also about eye contact again. You can't catch their eye. And it's about saying it to the people who matter in the room, not the one who's going to disagree with you. Really good point. Robin, thank you very much. Another brilliant podcast. We've learned so much today about how you stand when you're giving a speech. So interesting. I look forward to talking to you again very soon. But for now, it's goodbye from me. Goodbye from me. Have you ever wished you could become a confident speaker or presenter? Then why not join my online masterclass, Speak So Your Audience Will Listen. In 10 easy-to-follow modules, you can become a confident and authentic speaker. For more information, visit robinkermer.com